Tavarish. Welcome back to the Escalation 1985 podcast. I'm your host, Peter Bell. Joining me today is Sebastian Larson. I love electric boogie. <laughs> and joining me also is Lucas Parham. Hello, it's Parham. Thank you. Parham. Yeah. Parham, Parham. Yeah, same thing. <laughs> <laughs> we've, got, we've, got, we've got a few things to talk about today. Um, photo shoot. We had our Escalation 1985 official photo shoot last Sunday, which went absolutely fantastic. Um, I'd just like to make a shout out to few, actually all of the people involved. Uh, Brett Ludica, who did the photography, absolutely fantastic. Uh, Will Comberg as our West German. Francis Iyer as our Soviet tank crewman. Jacob Bauman as our uh, American tank crewman. Sean Diop as our East German. Ben Ciro as our American. And obviously Luke and Sebastian for helping out just so much. I'm very happy with how it turned out. Um, all the photos that we have been u- or that we uh, took in this were are going to be used for merch. You know, T-shirts, posters, you know, anything you can imagine. I mean, we're going to have it in the actual game, just in you know, loading screens. And these are oil canvas quality photos. I mean, like I don't think I could have been happier. I don't think Sebastian could have been happier with how they turned out. Just there's so much we're going to be doing with that. Um, <clears throat> If you would uh, like to, uh, Brett Ludica, I will. We will leave a description down for his uh, portfolio in the description. Um, yeah, uh, I just like to thank, actually, absolutely thank Luke Parham for being in a uh, Skype call for, you know, while we were organizing the uniforms and setting them up. I mean, like if Luke hadn't been there, we would have had a historical historical inaccuracy fest. I mean, it would have just been a disaster. So yeah, I just like to. Uh, thank Lou for that. Um, and you guys were sending uh, uniforms and gear and helmets all over the uh, the United States. Oh, of course, yeah. We 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 were all. I was all over Virginia, and yeah, Luke sent all these uniforms from Missouri <laughs> all the way to Virginia, and it was just a. It was a. It was a whole adventure, and I just. I think I don't think it could have turned out any better, honestly. So so what uh, what gear did you uh, did you send across? What uh, what was in the photos? Yeah, Luke, you want to go into that? Um. Yeah, so I sent full Soviet tank crew gear, uh, or the uniform and uh, goggles, and you got the helmet. I sent full U.S. tanker equipment, the helmet, the jumpsuit, all that stuff. Um, I sent uh, full Soviet stuff, or almost everything. You had a few items. Right. Um, Full West German stuff. uh, And then I had a, a friend, Klaus, send the poncho which was used for the NBC photos. Uh, and then I sent a few East German items for the the East German character had most of the stuff. I just had to send a few items. Um, so yeah, and with all of that stuff, plus what the US guy had, oh, and I sent the US NBC stuff, except for the mask. Um, and you know why I should have sent the mask, but... <laughs> <laughs> Well, why should you why should you send the mask? Because I had it all packed. I sent I sent the bag because he didn't have the bag. I had the mask packed. I had the mask in the bag with the hood, all good to go. <laughs> and I had it packed in the duffel bag. I had everything packed up. I had the padlock on, ready to go out the door. And then you messaged me. And you're like, hey, I actually already have an M17 gas mask, so you don't need to send it. Uh, so I dug it out, and it wasn't just right on top, mind you. I had to uh, dig it out. 
And then I took it out and I left it here and it's still sitting in my room. Um, but I set the bag still because I knew you need the bag. And then you take the photos and I look at the photos and the drinking straw is broken and the hood is missing the straps that go under the arm. So the drinking straw is hanging. It's, it's, just, it's just sticking up, um, which I noticed right away. And the hood, the hood doesn't sit out over the shoulders. It scrunches up around the neck. Well, I, I mean, it's a, it, well, it's, it's accurate, isn't it? You know, all the gear can be in pristine condition, in <laughs> yeah. battlefield conditions. Uh, it's good. Yeah. It's, yeah. We'll go, yeah, we'll exactly. go with that. I mean, yeah, absolutely. You're in an NBC environment. I'm just, uh, you know, you know, I'm, yeah. a, I'm, a t- I'm detail oriented, oriented. Of course. And, uh, you know, yeah. You just, that's why you're our. You, that's why you're our historical advisor. I, I I am good at that. Yes, I, I I don't know anything about making games, but I know a bunch of useless trivia that is no longer useless. That is key. There you go. Yeah. There Speaking you go. of uniforms, the smell. We got to talk about the smell. Oh yeah, there's, yeah. I um I bought a, a, a the Danish M58 uniform, surplus uniform, and the moment it got in, in the door, my wife was like, "No, that's just an awful, <laughs> awful smell. I gotta wash it." I'm like, "All right, okay, you, you wash it." And it came out of the wash, and then it stank up the washing machine, and it was even worse when it was hanging to dry and everything. And uh, I'm not gonna join you as a collector. I I, I prefer to be married to Mrs. Badger. Still. Because <laughs> she would definitely divorce me if I started collecting this stuff. It's either the Cold War Militaria <laughs> or me. Yeah. yeah. But, but uh, yeah, it, I think either we got used to the smell of the uniform or it subsided. Um, it's, it, it's it's hanging around and it's. It, it very likely did not subside. All right. <laughs> we got used to it then. <laughs> yes. So maybe there's hope. Um, I, I, I used the uh, uniform, I, I cut it open and uh, I took the measurements for it. So, um, so heartless. So yeah, so heartless. So uh, so oh, I got yeah, a, I could bastard. spread it out and then uh, and get really nice measurement or perfect measurements of it and get all the shapes right and uh, and then we can uh, put them in the uh, in a software called Marvelous Design and then get a perfect uh, rendition of it. Is there a reason for the for such a distinct smell? I mean, is it just the aging fabric? Is it the way they were stored? Um, it, it, it depends. So I collect a wide variety of stuff, as you know, of junk. Um, different nations, different eras, but my main collecting era is 80s, uh, 70s, 80s. Uh, but I have stuff from both NATO and Pact, uh, different nations, and honestly, a lot of them have their own distinct smell. Um, but I think the bigger thing, like, you know, that, that surplus smell is I think a lot of it has to do with like the aging canvas and fabrics, like you said. Um, yeah. But with like more rubber stuff, and the rubber, oh my god, is always the worst. So like, oh, really? with, oh, yeah. with chemical suits, like my Eastern Bloc chemical suits, or mm-hmm. the NBC stuff in general, just has a really unpleasant smell. Um, mm. Like a lot of it is because they are treated with chemicals um, or powders to prevent the rubber from deteriorating over time. Mm-hmm. Um, like uh, a fun example of that is when I got a Hungarian chemical suit, which was brand new from the, or not from the factory, but from a warehouse. It's made in, I think, 87, but that's not important. Uh, I opened it up and let me just, you know, for the record, acknowledge it was not the same one in the photo that the seller sent me. Okay. Hmm. Cause, cause the one in this, the seller sent me a photo of it. It was 
he, he was wearing it, and it was all, you know, yellow like the Hungarian suits are. Well, when I opened it, that's what I was expecting, and I just opened the package, and white powder fell everywhere and just coated my room. That was oh. fun. Uh. Um, and that was, that was the powder that was used to prevent the rubber from kind of deteriorating over time. And so it was actually in very good condition. But like my Polish chemical suit smells like death. It's horrible. It's it's one of the worst smelling. Yeah. Actually, is that the worst smelling uh, uniform? Is that the Polish? No. Well, maybe. But no. The Soviet OKZK undersuit is the worst smelling item I have ever had in my collection. That just sounds unpleasant. Something worn under the rubber chemical suit. It's not just worn under the rubber chemical suit. It's also worn under the cotton uniform. Ooh. It's basically chemical underwear, if you will. Wow. So uh. so it's really rare, and I'd been after it for a while, so I was pretty excited to get it. But once I opened it, I put it back in the box, and it's still sitting in the box taped up under my bed because it smells so horrible, and I still don't know what to do with it. <laughs> um... <laughs> what it was is it, it was basically like I said chemical underwear and it has these like hand flaps so it looks really stupid <laughs> um, but you you put it on then you put on the OKZK uniform which is treated mm -hmm. and flame resistant then you put on the rubber chemical suit and I have all three of those now and they all smell bad but the underlayer it's treated with some kind of chemical so that, like, if any chemical agents leak through your uniform and get on it, it will prevent it from, like, getting to your skin or something. But it does not age well. Or maybe it stank when it came from the factory that way. Either way, it's the most unpleasant smell I have ever, well, smelled. It's it's horrible. It is so bad. And it's probably not very healthy to, uh, you know, wear chemical underwear like that. You know, those uh, in these 60s, 70s, and 80s. They probably didn't care too much about, uh, you know, safety and health, health and safety. So, oh, no, of course. so, well, I think, so uh, probably it's a, it's not. You shouldn't wear it too much. I, also I have read never worn it. That, all right, good I, for you. I, I don't. I, I might be very detailed collector, but I usually, I, I. Now I'm not gonna lie. I buy the underwear. I just usually don't wear it. Hmm. <laughs> I've read somewhere that the uh, the gas masks uh, have um, asbestos in the filters, so that's probably not very healthy to run run around with either. Yeah, do you want to talk about that, Lucas? Sure. Uh, some of them do. Um, throughout the 50s, 60s, and even into the 70s, a lot of nations still had asbestos in the filters. Uh, Warsaw Pact nations, Poland, East Germany, Soviet Union, uh, had asbestos into the filters. Some some say up till the fall of the Soviet Union in 91. Some say up till 85. I don't really know for certain. Um, but really, the general advice is just don't breathe through expired filters, period because when they expire, they're no longer safe. That doesn't mean they're bad for you, but they could be. Um, like for example, the GP5 filter. The GP5 was a Soviet gas mask and it's the most common gas mask in the world. The Soviet Union Iconic. produced- Yeah, it, when you think of a gas mask, that might be one of the first images you think of. I mean, if you played Call of Duty 4, the Russian soldiers wear them in that as well. Um, it was, they, the Soviet Union produced millions and millions of them because that every citizen of the Soviet Union was to receive one in case of a war with the United States. Um, so because it's so common, the filters are common. Well, the filters have asbestos in them. I've been in the gas mask collecting community for a long time and there's been a lot of debate about it over the years, but it's 
become accepted now that they do have asbestos in them. Very small mm-hmm. amounts, and it's not really, it's not bad as long as it's not like dented or damaged. If the filter is, the inside, there's like a little paper filter on the top or like a fabric filter. If that's mm-hmm. not damaged, it can't get through. Um, right. So you would probably be okay, but honestly, I can't recommend it. Now, I'm not as, you know, super strict about it as others. Some are like, you know, don't ever wear it, don't ever put it on, you know, just don't risk it. Um, I say that's good advice, um, but, you know, I'm not the smartest always. If you want to put it on and take a photo, you're not going to die, okay? Um, But if you're going to... Well, here's my advice. A lot of people get them for airsoft. Don't airsoft in Mm. them. The lenses are not... um, They're not... BB proof. If if, a, if an airsoft BB hits it, it, it could shatter. Um, doesn't oh, wow. doesn't mean it always will, but it, it they can. They're not that strong. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been very careful about that, so I always recommend that to people. Uh, a lot of people get them for airsoft, and this applies to any gas mask. Always test it first. If you can get outserts, get outserts. Those are always safer. Which outserts are like lenses that go on over the lens. Um, I'm blind in my left eye, so I've always been very very careful about eye protection. So. I always like to pass on the warnings. Too much, uh, too much uh, airsofting in gas masks. <laughs> yes, and you have to ask yourself, like, who would want to wear a gas mask playing airsoft? Like, you're running around, you know. It's, it's like a, it's like doing a full workout in yeah. something that's kind of restrict your breathing. I mean, that's just like putting yourself through hell. Yeah, that's that's always been my thought. Is um, why the hell would you want to airsoft in a gas mask? That sounds stupid as hell. But if that's what you want to do, then do it. But you know. Like I said, all the risks, you know, old filters, don't use them. Get the, the lenses are dangerous. They restrict your view. They're hot. They're uncomfortable. I mean, I don't know. I see a lot of cons to wanting to wear a gas mask. But, I mean, I guess I guess you do you. But just be careful is the best I can advise. Just don't be stupid. Yeah, don't wear the asbestos mask with the uh, glass lenses. Yes. When people are shooting uh, bullets at you. Either, either if they're not real bullets, just don't do it. Okay, uh, so just to change the topic a little bit, we've got a few questions from our a few of our Patreons. Um, one person asks, uh, It's been pretty well documented that the M60A3 had a very accurate gun with effective ammo in the mid-80s, but had subpar armor once compared to their Soviet counterparts. Yes. Now I'm confident this will be reflected in the game. Yeah, we're going to do a very detailed damage model for the game, so uh, we're on... Uh, on the tanks, you can uh, shoot through them, um, and you can hit individual parts in them. So you can damage like the fire extinguisher system or the radio or whatever it might be that's inside. Apart from the people, and we're going to have spalling and and all that good stuff. Uh, so so yeah, and we're going to look at uh, all the f- sources that are available to us and uh, see if we can nail it completely. Good stuff. Um... Will each faction be heavily encouraged to follow the doctrine of their respective faction? And if so, have you guys thought of any ideas to make players to play in that role? Yeah, yeah, that's difficult, isn't it? I mean, uh, players gonna play how they want to play, right? So it's it's gonna be really hard to uh, enforce a certain playstyle. Um, but what we will do is is have um, a game mode where um, the Soviets will be in formation, and uh, you can uh, there will be um, bots. Um, driving the vehicles and the formations so they'll be very neat and very tight and then you can take over the vehicles but I guess 
it's going to be difficult enforcing doctrine. But it's, we, we're going to have some playtesting with the patrons first to see what they think and what we can do. And then we're going to look at it. First of all, this is going to be fun. So it's not going to be a military simulator and standing around simulator. But um, yeah. At the very least, we want to make sure that each nation feels different and unique. But as far as different doctrine, uh, it'll depend on what, what we can implement. Yeah, exactly. And of course, the almighty important question that we've all been waiting for, waffles or pancakes? Well, I'm going to be on the waffles team because uh, waffles, not only can you use them with uh, ice cream and uh, jam and all that good stuff, <laughs> but you can also eat them with fried chicken. Oh, down, down in Virginia, that is a delicacy. <laughs> There you go. Chicken and chicken? waffles. That is, that's just... Mm. Chicken? Bon appetit. Yeah. Waffle is a breakfast food. Chicken and waffles. What are you talking about? No. Yeah, it's delicious. <laughs> I'm not even from the States, let alone the South, and I love... I live in the South. That is not a Southern dish. I wouldn't... Uh, okay. I'm going to call you on that. I have never <laughs> heard of that before. Never had it before. And I mean, I mean, I guess it's, it's just chicken and waffles, but that's odd. That's weird. Waffles are breakfast food, okay? End of story. Chicken and waffles. Oh. Are you serious? Well, from, okay. Well, if you, you got fried you chicken is so good, you can have it in the morning. <laughs> I'm in yeah. southern Missouri. I am literally a few hours away from the Arkansas border. I'm like right at the south. I've never heard of that before. <laughs> wow. Uh. So, Lucas, uh, waffles or pancakes for you then? Well, waffles, but not with chicken. <laughs> Uh, that settles that. Point. I'd have to say I'm I'm tied for both. I mean, I've been enjoying them both my entire oh, life. Boo. It's, it's it's hard to choose, honestly. I'm gonna have to go 50 yeah. 50 on that one. Uh, yeah. All right, undecided between waffles and pancakes for escalation. <laughs> 1985. Very very safe answer. Thanks for that, Peter. <laughs> uh, next question. Alex asks. Our Patreon contributor is going to get a special cosmetic or skin so we can show off our commitment to an awesome game. We should totally send them makeup. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the answer is yes to that question. Actually, that's a pa one of our patron uh, uh, goals. And we reached that goal by uh, uh, turning uh, or getting across the $300 uh, per month uh, uh, finish line there. So yes, patches and UI symbology to show off your patronage. So you'll be able to see it in game and show it off in game. And uh, your character is going to wear a special patch as well. Good stuff. Yeah, we uh, actually just reached $300 for our um, Patreon as for one of our goals, so that's fantastic. We have a couple heroes of the Soviet Union out there even, which is just, it's just absolutely fantastic. I love it. Um, yeah, yeah, that's our $100 tier. Yeah. Um, this is so awesome. I mean, that's really awesome. So thanks a lot for the support. It's super awesome, guys. And also, we're going to have uh, a new... Uh, um, the, the stuff from the photo shoot is going to go into uh, to the uh, um, patron rewards as well. So uh, one meter by 70 centimeters posters and uh, t-shirts as well coming up. So brand new designs. So next question, Melta asks, will there be any character customization like different vests, helmets, or no helmets like in Rising Storm 2? And that's a no. Uh, we thought about it and... Uh, we, we, we can't do it. I mean, we're already strapped uh, as it is already for development. We have a lot of things to do and and this is just going to be too heavy for us as it is right now. We can we can see later, um, but it's a no for now, unfortunately. Yeah, and I mean, if, if, if but you have to understand that uh, 
because there are no cosmetics, we're going to be putting toward more of that time and effort towards something that, you know, will make the game more unique, you know, and I think that's more important to, in, in my honest opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if I can't change helmets, I'm not buying the game, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone knows that is one of the most important mechanics in a game, all right? I thought it was the uh, '80s uh, mustache generator. I mean, I want to, <laughs> I want to have a fat ass. A Burt, uh, Burt Reynolds. If, if I if I want to defend the Berlin Wall from them space commies with a porn stash, then damn it, that's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, actually, we need to have maybe maybe that would be a Patreon thing. Just fat mustache, you know. <laughs> we can we can we can play with that. We'll ask them, patrons. Do yeah. you want we'll fat mustaches? We'll see 99 Luft balloons. Exactly. Yeah. Um, one thing that we the, the, uh, one, the best way to capture the 80s aesthetic. One thing uh, yeah. for customization that we did settle on, and it was and it's dead easy to do, is in the uh, tanks. We'll have a small picture, and you can upload your own picture of your dog or girlfriend or whatever, and uh, and have that in the uh, in the driver's compartment of the tank. So that's at least something. You're telling me that I can fight commies with my dog at my side. Exactly. Of course. That warms my heart. I don't fight for my girlfriend. I fight for my dog. Okay. <laughs> and when you're on the other side, obviously you have a picture of Comrade Stalin. Babushka. Of course. Yeah, yeah. You have a picture of your babushka on the side. Mm -hmm. oh. There you go. That's funny. Do we have uh, more questions? Okay, next Listen, question. when I when I come home from the nuclear war, as long as Babushka survived and my dog, depending on if I'm playing as Russian American, I'd say we won. <laughs> That's a win, yeah. Yeah. Priorities. That's key. Okay, next question from one of our Patreons. Uh, before you've mentioned NBC situations and have talked at length about suits both sides have used, in the event of an NBC incident in-game, will players' vision slash HUD be obscured by the masks? Will their hearing and movement be affected as well? Oh, definitely. And uh, we are going to go with the expert here. Luke is going to tell us all about how the uh, the masks affect you and, and, and we'll make damn sure it's, uh, it's going to be super realistic and claustrophobic to wear it. If it is claustrophobic to wear it uh, in real life, um, I have no idea. I heard something, were you talking about that the other day, that actually um, siding with the mask on is better than with the mask off? Um, me? I, I don't think so. Uh, I really can't think of any circumstances where the gas mask being on would be better than having it off, except for when there's gas in the air. <laughs> um, I mean, in general, soldiers hated wearing gas masks. They, they're hot, they're uncomfortable, they have to be tight fit, you know, to fit to your face. Um, and they're just, they're just, they... Yeah, I mean, it depends on the mask and the nation, but they generally all suck. Um, and I think the United States is, was one of the only countries at that time, I'm trying to think, out of all the NATO and Warsaw Pact nations in 85, they were pretty much the only one with a drinking straw. So most of them, they weren't able to drink water either uh, when they got hot. Oh, man. I think yeah. the drinking straw was just genius. See, this is why we need an yeah. expert and a collector of these things so we don't make stupid mistakes. I have a mask from each NATO and Warsaw Pact nation, so I can get inside views and we will be good to go on that. There you go. And then also you can uh, compare whatever we come up with, because obviously it's never going to be exactly the same in a, in a game. You know, it's, it's super restricted what yeah, you can yeah. do and the human eye and... Well, 
Yeah, and I've always, it's always hard to like get the proper view of the inside of a gas mask. Um, because, you know, like films try to make it look cool and they'll show like both lenses. And then like, I, I think Verdun does it the best from what I've heard. But as yeah, I I've mentioned earlier, as I've mentioned earlier, I'm blind in my left eye. So I only ever see out of my right eye. So I actually don't know what it's like to look through a gas mask with both eyes. Hmm. So I'm not the best person when it comes to uh, views. But from what from people that I've talked to, veterans, collectors, other people about it, it, it they've mentioned that it looks a lot like Verdun, where it just kind of blurs in the middle, and it yeah. looks like one full thing, like that. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what we're gonna go with. But uh, but yeah, we're gonna we're gonna be careful to uh, to make it and also sound will be affected and all that stuff and there's some new stuff for yeah there's some yeah. new stuff for and unreal the, that makes yeah. this uh, easy and more realistic and yeah it's gonna be nice the like, morale um, system will play a huge role in how obviously a nuclear weapon is detonated and you're gonna be distraught the player you know he's, he's gonna this movement's gonna be slower obviously from having all the NPC gear on but also you know fear of, of the attack I mean I think that uh, that's gonna play a huge role and how your player is affected. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, and also they can't they can't be overly active because they could risk having like a heat stroke or getting too hot. Uh, mm -hmm. You'll sometimes have to kind of stop and cool down a little bit mm. um, because, especially the Soviets in Warsaw Pact, because their rubber suits trapped the heat in. Uh, the Soviets had a very specific chart. Actually, I feel like I talked about this last podcast, so I'll just briefly go over it because I don't want to, you know, go over it twice. But. Uh, they had this chart that basically said how long you could stay in the suit depending on what temperature it was without risk of a heat stroke. Um, so, you know, you can't just go running around and be overly physical without consequences. Of course, yeah. Um, Dakota also asked, uh, uh, on the last podcast we mentioned books that gave us inspiration. Um, are there any other kinds of media that also inspired, such as movies, TV shows, or music? Um, yeah, I'd, I'd kind of like to go into a little bit more of this. Um, yeah, last time we mentioned, you know, we read a lot of books. I mean, I'm, we're, uh, our, our whole team's big on uh, Tom Clancy's Red Storm Rising, which is what we mentioned last time. But just a couple of extras that I think are definitely noteworthy. Um, War Game with uh, Matthew Broderick, obviously. Escal the Escalation 1985 team's favorite movie. Uh, it's, uh, you can see in our teaser trailer, we made a little Easter egg for the, uh, for, um, uh, how, that, how the, uh, war room was shown. You can see the, in the bottom left corner in one of the monitors, there's a tic-tac-toe game going on, which is a reference to the, uh, supercomputer that was in charge of controlling the nuclear weapons in the film. Um, if you haven't checked it out yet, I mean, it's a fantastic Cold War film. It's got, a uh, v very strange seeing a young Matthew Broderick, but, uh, yeah, it's um, an awesome film. Actually, I shared uh, all the development uh, work in progress shots in the uh, Patreon uh, Discord channel uh, the other day. And also mentioned... Oh, those shot looks fantastic. Yeah, it was good fun making it. Uh, it was really difficult um, to put it together because there's not a lot of... Uh, it's hard to see um, exactly how that room looks. It's not a real room. It's a, it's a soundstage. And, uh, and what I found was a really old... 83 um, sort of making off on YouTube very grainy VHS tape 
completely broken, but that showed exactly like that was like a, a scale model of how they built the entire war room. And from that, I could extrapolate out what are the different levels uh, and such. Because there's a lot of things going on in that thing. There are like six different uh, height levels in it. And, and I even managed to squeeze in the Whopper. Uh, Truska did a great job of modeling it. So the computer uh, that, uh, that they're playing chess against in the movie is in that room as well. Um, and yeah. and uh, and one of the um, one of the map screens uh, in the uh, where the operators are sitting, um, I put in a little map uh, of a place called Supo, where my grandfather came from. And to honor him, I I, uh, I put the uh, I put the map in there. So there's a small Easter egg from my from my granddad, hmm. which unfortunately that's, is not longer really with nice. us. But uh, yeah, so so yeah, the, uh, it's good fun. So uh, so, but that's a little uh, extra for the patrons. Um, so if you're, yeah, I mean, if you're um, a patron, go in and, and, uh, and scroll up a little bit in the, in the chat. You can find all those pictures. Yep. Um, other media that, I mean, have, that have definitely inspired me. I mean, I'm, uh, other than the stuff we already mentioned before, if, uh, Lucas, have you seen Deutschland 83? Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, I loved that because it's. It, it all revolved around Able Archer 1983, the, the ex- military exercise. Um, for those of you who don't know about that, I really advise looking into it. It's very interesting. In fact, it's my favorite historical event ever. Uh, plays a huge role in why... I mean, my, my collection, my favorite era has always been 1983. So when I got involved in the project just two years later, didn't really have to learn a whole lot of new stuff. A whole lot of new stuff. Hmm. Um, but uh, I liked uh, Deutschland 83 um, other media that uh, helped me like actually the thing that got me interested in the Cold War at all was world in conflict hmm. uh, oh, before before that I collect my main interest was World War 2 and that's what I collected and I used to hate the Cold War I used to think the Cold War was boring I used to think that it was not a real war; it was a fake war, and <laughs> and uh, now it's my obsession. So it's funny how things work out. <laughs> but I remember, I remember uh, watching the trailer for World in Conflict and thinking, "Wow, that's that's cool." You know, Soviet paratroopers raining down on America. That was, you know, that was just. I just thought that was so neat. You know, oh wow. And I looked into it and learned more. And my, I, I don't know why, but I always loved uh, Captain Maloshenko. Uh, Davari Shay, it's good Shea. to see you all here today. <laughs> you know, oh, it, with his, with his, uh, uh, the airborne officer you know, with the tits. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and, man. and he was some. Uh, he was uh, when I first started collecting Cold War. I, I always looked at him. So I got a TTSKO jacket, VDV beret, uh, Leaf Chick chest rig, uh, original 1988 jack boots, just like what he had. Yeah, because I just thought he looked so cool. Um, and my number one thing was always 1989. That was my big, that was the year, that was my collection. Um, and then another medium which changed everything for me was war games, uh, or war game European Escalation. European Escalation and uh, Red Dragon, absolutely yeah. iconic. I, those definitely encompassed my obsession with the Cold War as well. Yeah, one of the, the uh, campaigns in European Escalation was Able Archer. And I remember thinking, you know, oh, that's kind of interesting. And I thought, you know, 1983. And I looked into it and I've done research on it and it's just, 
I mean, over the years, it's just become it's such an interest to me. Abel Archer and the 1983 war scare and the, the, how close it was, you know? Mm. And the culture of 1983, just, just 1983 in general. And it's, um, stra- yeah, it's strange to think about. Abel Archer not usually talked about in modern media or even exactly it was kind of like a cuban missile crisis in the 80s and yeah but it was very secret like even the u.s wasn't fully aware of how serious it was the public itself is still very it's very unknown it's becoming more known like i said it was or like you said like we said it was a it was a big part of deutschland 83 it's uh it was in european escalation it's gained more knowledge in recent years uh, and more documents are still being released about it, uh, even now, because it really was only like 30-something years ago. It wasn't that long ago. Mm, no. Um, but it was a very close event, and it was just another example of how the 80s were a lot tenser than a lot of people realized. Yeah, we were, um, we, we were very close, and I, re- I remember the, I'm old enough to remember the 80s, and it was, a, you know, at times really depressing. You know, there was a lot of propaganda uh, on the news, for instance, and, and everywhere, you know, that, and it was depressing, and people where you know I can remember the adults having these uh, conversations about nuclear war and, and and all that stuff and and the uh, media would do it their very best to scare us children uh, you know witless and uh, they managed to do so for, for me the 80s are in many ways depressing as hell because uh, because of all that and and the tension was thick it was really thick um, you could sense yeah. it even especially as living people in truly Europe. believed people truly believed that it was going to be, you know, the end of the world. I think I remember reading a statistic, a statistic that uh, over half of Americans believed that there would be a nuclear war by the end of the 80s mm. at some point. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, the the day after released in 1983. Uh, oh, that was actually, fantastic. That, yeah, that movie, which is about nuclear war, for those of you who don't know, and I recommend watching it, it's very... It's a film that you should watch. It's, it's powerful. scary. It's, it's very got a scary. Very important message. Yes, and you should also watch Thread, which Threads, which is the British equivalent, which came out in '84. But about the day after, it actually premiered just a few weeks after the Abel Archer war scare almost made that nuclear war happen. Hmm. I, used to do I always thought that. that was just interesting. Um, but. So that's another medium. That and threads are other mediums that have always had me interested in nuclear war, just how horrible it would be. Um, an, uh, here's another thing. Uh, is Metro 2033? It's, mm. Of course, it's set in 2033, but a lot of it is actually based on original Soviet plans during the Cold War. For example, the Moscow Metro was one giant fallout shelter. The, the first aid kits that you use in the game are actually based on original Soviet first aid kits every... Or, medical kits that every soldier and civilian would have. There's differences between the two, but, you know, besides the point, those little orange boxes, um, just a lot of it's uh, very similar. And that always had me interested in NBC and Gas Masks, the Fallout franchise I've always loved. And those have always been, you know, post-apocalyptic, post-nuclear war. So I've always had that interest in, in nuclear war and stuff. But if you've noticed, what I've mentioned a lot of is video games, is video games have actually shaped a lot of my interest in the Cold War. Uh, oh, and in well. fact, and in fact, the reason I first started collecting military at all was Call of Duty 3. That's what got me interested in World War II. So the fact that video games have been so influential on me and on collecting and just what I do, the fact that I'm now helping make one is just something so astonishing to me. Yeah. And it's a very, it's very powerful feeling. And I think, you know, our our you know, our last generation obviously they or, you know, our parents didn't have 
video games in order to get them interested in something. So when I tell, you know, my parents or even, you know, just anyone of an older generation that, uh, you know, my whole, as well as me, Lucas, my whole obsession with, you know, history has started with video games. Uh, being, you know, exposed to them at such a young age just really, you know, inspired me to go out there and do bigger things. And I think some people find that, like, unorthodox and some people find it you know ridiculous like oh you you know you became interested in this from a video game like they're just you know but there's there's exactly. so much more to it you know yeah uh video, video games i mean it's died down a lot recently but they used to get a lot of bad uh rep you know oh the people 90s used to talk about, and early 2000s yeah and and, just... and and people used to talk about how video games were just kind of you know stupid pointless what's the point of them you know they're just kid things but like I, like you said, like I've said, like we've established, they were very influ influential to us, and they're influential to a lot of people. Video games, have, I mean, they're they're a new medium. They're they're they can be just as powerful as as films, even. I mean, look at look at like games like The Last of Us. I mean, that's got a lot of cinematics. That's an amazing story and stuff like that. Mm. It's just great. I mean, video games can be so much more, you know, and that's what I think. You know, with this, you know, with the focus on mechanized and NBC and stuff, it could be something different from what other games have done before. It could be something to show people what it could have been like. You know, you can't get that from a film. I just think, uh, I think that's really cool. I think that's uh, really cool. I think we have a chance to do something really, really awesome. Of course. I agree. Uh, last question. This one's from our uh, Patreon channel on Discord. Uh... Favorite camo pattern. Now this is a this is a we could talk all day about this. I mean, let's just I think we should go through and start each of us kind of go through and say which one is our favorite. Well, I'm partial to the uh, Danish M84, but I think the coolest one is probably the digital uh, computer designed uh, camo pattern the uh, Soviets had. I think that's just a. Are you talking about the uh, KLMK? The step? Yeah. I think that's just a oh, beautiful. Yeah. yeah, I think that's just a beautiful idea, and it's all pixelated and, uh, and of course, I think it's nonsense. You know, it's computer dis designed by a computer. They make it sound like uh, the computer did it all by its own. And it's like this, uh, this uh, AI that that knows how hmm. to hide people better in the in the woods. I think I find it really interesting. This uh, pixelated eighties. Uh, I don't even know when it came out. You probably don't know all about it, Lucas. But I think I find that fascinating. Yeah, I find that fascinating. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like, uh, like that camouflage, which is, I, I don't remember what the official name is, but it's used on multiple things. It's used on the KLMK oversuits. It's used on the KZS. I like it in the coloration of KZS, the dark green with the yellow looks really yeah, cool. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But uh, my favorite, my favorite pattern would probably be either the U.S. Mitchell pattern, which was used on the helmet covers in Vietnam, the shelter halves by the Marines. I don't know why, but I've always loved that cover. And I've seen a few photos of it used in the 80s by US soldiers, by West German soldiers, by Dutch soldiers, and I just love that. Um, it's either that or the US Duratex pattern, which was experimental from the late 70s. Um, it was like, yeah, it was almost like digital almost. It was like a digital type pattern. It's yellow, and then it had green squares and brown squares. It looked neat. Uh, it was trialed by the cavalry division. Uh, I can't remember which one. Uh, in West Germany in 1978 um, as a uniform, and then they switch, and then they stopped it. They didn't use it, but they use it on vehicles into the early 80s. That's I've always loved that pattern as well. Uh, for me, personally, I'd probably have to go with 
uh, Titsuko, VDV Titsuko. I think it's interesting that the Soviets were late to the party for kind of making an official, like, standard uniform that's not one solid color. Um, you know, before that, I think my second favorite would probably be Afghanka, which was the uh, standard uniform for the Soviets in the Soviet-Afghan War, which is just one solid color, kind of a, what you call it, like, beige? Like, uh, a, like a tannish color? Yeah, tannish I'd brown, say it's like yeah. a tannish brown. I think it's just standard, it gets right to the point, but I mean, Titsuko, having been, you know, the first official kind of Soviet camouflage, I think it's interesting to see that, you know, that's that was their, you know, their rendition of the BDUs almost, and I, you know, I just find it to look rather visually appealing. And same with VSR coming in the early 90s with the... And VSR was actually a Soviet pattern. It was never issued in Soviet times, but it was designed by the Soviets. A lot of people don't know that. It yeah. was uh, it was the first pattern of the Russian Federation, but it was entirely designed by the Soviets. Excellent. So, uh, Sebastian, you just want to uh, update us really quickly on the you know what's going on with the development as of now? Yeah, sure. Um, it's going a lot uh, slower than we want to, but that's obviously because we're not doing this full time. We can't right now because we don't have the funding for it. But um, this spring, I'm going to do uh, do a lot of funding. There's 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 some, a good variety of stuff that we can do. Uh, and uh, later on um, in the year, we're also going to look at doing a, a Kickstarter or something similar to it. Apart from that, um, we have a new programmer on the team, and he has a decade of experience uh, programming games, and he already has a couple of uh, Steam titles behind him. So, um, actually, he said there's some things that we have done right, and there's some things we've done absolutely wrong, and there's some stuff that we have to rebuild um, to make it much cleverer. And um, for instance, the Steam integration, um, he just knows all the cowboy tricks to make that go a lot smoother. So we'd had to uh, rebuild some of that stuff and we're making good progress. I mean, we're, there's a lot of models coming all the time and uh, we're doing character work and, and all that. And we have a, a, a movement uh, framework going. Um, our programmer's working on that right now and we're waiting for him to update it so we get uh, new movements and better weapons handling and stuff going in. But it's going slower than we'd want to, obviously. But um, we're doing some some uh, some uh, some uh, some funding runs, and pretty sure we should be able to uh, to get some programmers in full time. But until then, people are just gonna have to be a little bit patient with us. The first thing that's gonna happen is the patrons gonna come in and uh, do playtesting with us. Um, but it's a little ways off. But I'm hoping this summer um, that we'll see uh, the first uh, playtesting. So that's where we are right now. Excellent stuff. Well, uh, I'd just like to thank all of you for tuning in to episode two of the Escalation 1985 podcast. If you haven't already, consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Escalation1985. Please subscribe to us on YouTube, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and join our Discord. On episode three of the Escalation 1985 podcast, we'll talk about Saklos and Maklos, guided missiles. We'll play our favorite 80s jingles. We'll talk about our Samantha Fox poster collections. <laughs> And find out if you're looking out after the Commodore, because the Commodore's looking out after you. Mm-hmm.